This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, good morning I'm from uh, California, and you're in New York, and it's afternoon, right? Hi, Mom. Yes, it's 1 o'clock, a little after 1 o'clock in the afternoon here in Manhattan. Yeah, good morning. We've gone through Valentine's, and we're kind of in the February uh, doldrums a little bit, or not too much coming up right now, right? Yes, and I, I find February to be a hard time, a difficult time, well, depending on where you live, but for most of us, because it's, you know, the, the, the holidays are over, which can be difficult. Um, and it's it's usually very cold and dark, and like you said, there isn't a lot going on in February, and New York City is very cold in February, so it's a it's a difficult time in this part of the country, I think, for a lot of people. And then you ha- when you have a loss, that makes it more difficult, I think. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I always like to talk about in February, Heidi, is are those lights that people tell us about for depression. If you're in an area where there's not a lot of light, yes. And you know, it's also interesting. And I'm not a proponent of this, Mom, but I just read it because you know I've had a lot of skin cancer. For those of you out there that don't know that, I've had eight different bouts of skin cancer, so I very much avoid being in the sun. However, I just read some research that came out that said that people that suffered from clinical depression have been asked by their doc- by some doctors, they've shown to be in a tanning bed three days a week for only 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. And it impacts, I know, it impacts their moods, and it does the same thing that one of those lights does that you're talking about. You can go online and order lights for feeling blue and feeling depressed, and I do, rec- I do recommend it for a lot of my clients because they're not sun lamps. They're just lights that you sit under, and it does impact your mood. We do need light, and in the winter, it's hard to get light, especially when you live on the East Coast. You know, that's that's amazing because tanning beds have gotten such a bad rap, and uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, Tom Galasano, who is the head of Paychecks that we know, he just uh, bought some tanning booths in Florida, so I'm going to have to tell him about it. That, you will have to that, tell him. Uh, yeah, we'll have to get that research. Speaking of research, Heidi, uh, our friend Rachel Hibbard, and she is, do you know what university she's connected with? Oh, the University of Missouri, St. Louis. Well, we got research uh, subjects for her about a year ago. I, I don't know if our audience knows out there, but it's very difficult to get research subjects uh, when you're re- uh, researching grief and loss. So we helped Rachel a few years ago, and we got uh, she got 250 people to sign up, which is practically unheard of, isn't it, Heidi? It is. That's that's fabulous because. Who knows who is more of an expert in grief and loss than those that have been through it? Absolutely. And for her to ask for subjects, I think is great. So let me give you a little read of, of what she says. And you can always also find information on our site. She says, if you're over 18 years old, we invite you to participate in an online study. So it's online of grief, grief related experiences. Your participation will continue to give us a better understanding of grief and will ultimately help others who are grieving. You will also have the um, option to enter a raffle to win a $50 gift certificate through Amazon.com. And the researchers are Dr. Brian Vanderberg and Rachel Hibbard. 
And they, she says they'd be most grateful for anyone that wants to sign up. And this is approved, by the way. Heidi and I don't put anything on our show or on our site that isn't approved by the school. It's approved by the Institutional Review Board of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. So if you want to get in this study, you go to research.net slash backslash s backslash loss research. And you can also um, Google, I'm sure, Rachel Hubbard, R-A-C-H-E-L-H-I-B-B-A-R-D, Hibbard, I would say. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Mom, that this is, you, you're not, I think what it is is a survey. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is go on to her site and fill out a survey. I don't think, yep. it doesn't mean flying anywhere or going anywhere. Right. It just means filling out a survey in your own home. Because I know that uh, we people who've uh, had grief and loss love to find ways to help the world, and and here's the way that you can. Well, Heidi, we've got a great guest today, and I'm excited about having her on, and she's uh, done some really interesting things since the loss of her son. Would you like to introduce our guest? Sure. Our guest's name today is Stephanie Benbenek, and her only son, Clark, was killed in a freak accident. Um, After... Clark's death, Stephanie wrote the book, Keeping Clark One Son, One Day, One Mom's Personal Journey Through Grief. And this is an honest and compelling story of living, dying, and honoring lost ones that you've loved. So, Stephanie, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Heidi and Gloria, for having me on. It's great to have you on. And we met you at Brief Parents USA, as I recall, sitting there at our tables with our books. Very nice meeting you. And I, I wanted to, um, particularly, I was interested that that's the first kind of big gathering you've been to. And let's talk a little bit about Clark's death first, but then I want to move on to some things about, um, I know there's some things in your book that I found interesting about therapy and about groups and about whether people want to be in groups or not and, and should they be and what about your therapist giving you diagnosis of, uh, depression after loss and gosh, there's so many things we could talk to, about today. But before we get started, tell us a little bit about Clark. Clark, uh, was my only son, as you said, and one day I was speaking with him in our normal, usual banter and the next Day, I had a knock on my door from the coroner. So it was a very mm. sudden and, and shocking death. Um, it was a, a tire malfunction at 9.45 on a Saturday morning. And I found out later that afternoon. But it was, as, as you know, just something that your world exploded when, when you found this out that your only child uh, had been killed that... Just everything shuts down. And uh, I, I do have to pay a little bit of homage to shock because I feel like shock is our, our gift that protects us uh, initially when, when we lose a child or a child of ours dies, that we go into kind of a protection mode uh, to, just to be able to cope with the fact that, that our child has died. So... That day and the days that followed and the weeks that followed and the months that followed um, were very, very dark days. And uh, one thing I I kind of figured out right away was that grief is the strongest force in the universe. Mm -hmm. That it, that it, it can take you down 
if you let it. Yeah, they say you can die of a broken heart. And I remember there was an article in the New York Times that was talking about that. And I agree. People actually, you know, have heart problems. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it affects yeah. you every way. It affect, It's almost like a separate entity because it affects you, um, sleep patterns, physically, emotionally, uh, psychologically, everything that makes up who you are can be affected by grief because it is so powerful. I know you were talking a little bit about sleep, and, and I'll have to say that I'm not one for taking any pills at all, but I'll tell you, eventually I had to take a sleeping pill a few times because I just wasn't getting any sleep. It was really tough. I, I agree, and I and I also did that initially because I could not get visuals out of my mind. I'm a very visual person, and um, um, just to be able to survive... I really do feel like I retreated and then shock took over and kind of became my compass and kind of became my uh, armor. I, I say that it's an armor of shock in the book because that's how I felt. I felt like I was being insulated from this horrible thing that had happened. Wow, but, well, and, um, yeah. I was just going to say, and Stephanie, it's a whole other way of looking at shock because, you know, we often feel like shock is a negative and exactly. I like that you're doing a reframe on that and saying, no, it actually at the beginning is served as an adaptive mechanism to protect us. It did. It, it, I actually say that shock saved my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You couldn't. Because, you can't take it all in. It's it's way right. too much. Well, I wanted to. I wanted to say now, your son was not driving the car, and I knew it blew about back tire and the car went out of control. I was very interested because you did not blame the driver at all. And the driver was killed. But, uh, you know, how did, how did you deal with that? How did you not do that? Uh, you know, you just have to know that there are accidents, that accidents happen. Um, mm-hmm. we, all, we make choices. And when we make a choice, there are consequences. And if my son chose to get in a car to drive to a football game and the tire came apart, there was no way he could have known that. There was no way that anyone could have known that. Um, They were three cadets at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. Nothing going wrong with them. They were just in the car. The tire came apart. And I know my son. I know he had his window down. I know he was buckled in, and he was. Um, The other two cadets in the car were thrown from the vehicle and died at the scene. Uh, one, The driver died at the scene, and then the backseat passenger uh, lingered uh, six days and then passed away on the sixth day. So all three boys died from one tire malfunction. Wow. And uh, it was uh, it, just devastating. It, 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 they were all three from the same hometown. They call it our 9-11. That was our 9-11. Uh, Mm-hmm. was wow. um, that day when the three boys died. And I just could not blame the driver. I was just, to be honest with you, I was thankful that my son was not driving. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could've... Because I, I, I felt like that is a whole uh, additional layer yeah. to right. add to your grief. You know, if, if so, so I, I kind of felt more em- empathetic towards the parents of the driver yeah. versus, you know, blaming them for that. Well, let's move on a little bit. I wanted to talk about your deciding to uh, seek therapy, and and how did you pick a therapist, and how did you decide to do it? I know you went to um, a group, 
and you, it wasn't for you. Heidi and I have discussed this before, haven't we, Heidi, about groups not being for everyone? Right. Right. Well, I went to so, a support group uh, maybe three months after, uh, thereabouts, three months after the death. And, and what I picked up from the support group was that everyone who was attending this, this session this evening wanted to talk about the death mm-hmm. and wanted to, to replay and relive the death of their child. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I did not want to get frozen or keep revisiting that moment of death. Mm-hmm. I wanted to I wanted to celebrate the life. I wanted to keep the memories and the life with me versus going to the moment of death which kind of smacked a little bit of being a victim to me. Mm-hmm. And so, I didn't want to remain a victim. I wanted to choose to recover. Right. So so that's interesting because uh, some people need to replay the story. Heidi and I like to talk about this, and some people don't. Groups aren't for everyone. But then you decided to go into therapy. Now, how did you pick a therapist? Did you shop around, as it were? Because Heidi and I are always saying do that. So talk about that. I did. I did shop around. I talked with friends and contacts to get referrals of who they thought a good therapist may be. And I spoke with every therapist. I kind of phone interviewed them. And I ultimately went with a a wonderful therapist. And the the deciding factor for me, Gloria, was that she had an only son. Mm, Okay. And she, she had one son who was around the same age. She had come highly referred anyway. But the fact that she was a mother with an only son, uh, hit home with me. And I said, if anyone will understand. Now, where is she located? Do you want to say what her name is for folks, if they're around in that area? She is located in Greenville, South Carolina, and her name is Dorothy Wayland. All right, Dorothy. Phenomenal. Dorothy, yes. Kudos to Dorothy. (laughs) Right. And I did not, I could... (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't that's mention her great, in the that's book. That's a great I endorsement. Gave her. Heidi, you want to say something about that as a therapist? I, I agree with you, Mom. We need to shop around and find a good fit. And what an amazing endorsement to know that there was a therapist out there that really, really got it and that you connected yes. with. Because we're always saying, you know, there's a lot of great therapists, but there's also a lot of therapists that really don't have a clue about grief and loss. So you do need to go with someone that you feel really understands and gets where you are in your your grief process. That's Love right. It. And and. And, you know, the therapist in the beginning, the, mm-hmm. the whole therapy ball, ball to me was the first part of introducing myself and what had happened. I still was in shock. I still really didn't believe it, that this had happened, that I had right. lost my, my Clark. And the fact that I could go into that office and lie on the floor and kick and scream and cry and just, mm-hmm. this is horrible, this is, I don't believe it, I, that she would just allow me to do that because it was a safe place. You know, I think yeah. people so many times mm-hmm. don't grieve, and that's why I think they do replay that death over and over in, in group sessions. Now, Gloria, did- it's because, yeah, no one, no one lets them grieve because they're uncomfortable. Right. Good, good they don't point. let the griever grieve because the, the the witnesses, what I call witnesses, are uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. Well, 
Now, now I want you to talk a little bit about how you saw that she was putting down that you were depressed, right? I asked uh, my therapist, I said, what is this code? I want to know what this code is. Good for you. Most people don't ask that question when I give them a code. (laughs) They just go along with the program. They have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I say, I want to know what this code means. And she says, it's depression. And I said, I don't agree with it, with your code. I love I it. Because I was not depressed before my son right. was killed. And I feel like, I'm. is there a code for sadness? Is there a code for extreme sadness? Because mm-hmm. I'm not a depressed person. Right. This, this tragedy happened. And I've got to claw my way and stay ahead of grief, but I'm not depressed. Well, and that's part of the problem, Stephanie. You're bringing up such a good point. That's part of the problem with getting insurance reimbursement. We Mm -hmm. do need to pathologize grief in a way because if we don't, we're not going to get paid. It's, It's like our hands are tied. So what did she, do you know what she did at that point as far as a diagnosis? Well, she told me that not only was she using that code as, as right. my uh, uh, treatment code, but that I also was suffering from PTSD. Post-traumatic stress syndrome, right. Post-traumatic stress syndrome because in by definition, it is a uh, uh, life-changing event that happens quite suddenly without warning and that it is something that you relive and that you think in your mind and you, you bring visuals back in your mind and you bring the, uh, the incident back in your mind. And I agreed with her on that because I felt like here one day I'm telling my son, I love you, and he says, I love you, Mom, and the next day I get a knock on the door. Mm-hmm. So it was traumatic, and it was so you, I, I agreed yeah. more with PTSD than I did with depression. <laughs> right? right? I really did. <laughs> so, but yeah. but um, therapy was was and continues to be for me a wonderful. Now, now not everybody can out there can afford therapy, and so I had a friend uh, at the University of Rochester when I taught there who was a professor emeritus, John Romano, a very famous guy. And you know what he used to say: if you had three really good friends that you could tell everything to, you wouldn't need therapy. So let me say to folks out there, you know, uh, if you can't get a therapist, get some close friends that you can do what Stephanie's saying, that you can lay on the floor and scream with, and that uh, they could actually, you know, have you do that. Sometimes it can be a minister, but uh, find some, we call them safe people, right, Heidi? Yeah, and those would be amazing friends. When you find them, please send them my way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well there you know what I call them, Gloria? That. <laughs> Gloria and Heidi. I call them witnesses because yeah, true. You need witnesses because you need people who are not going to judge you, who are right. not going to turn around and leave you grieving and go say, "Hey, she's crazy because she's having a conversation with her dead son." Right. Yeah. Right. So or you have and she's on, the, she's on the ground screaming in a fetal position. Well, yes, we exactly. all know that, there's, that, that that's a normal part. Of grieving and grieving. reaction to grief yes. is to do yes. something like and, that. and non-judgmental, non-critical friends. Right. Yeah. That can be a witness to your grief. And we want to say that uh, Heidi and I are going to be out at Frankfurt, Kentucky, for any of you who are interested in coming to uh, the Frankfurt's Compassionate Friends National, their local conference, regional, right, Heidi? And yes, regional. Uh, yeah, well, Heidi and I are going to be out there. We're going to be keynotes. It's February 23rd. Is that right, Heidi? 
or March. No, it's March, March, it's March 23rd to yeah. the 25th. Yeah, and so uh, if you want to come and be, and we're going to do some groups, and uh, we're going to keynote there. So, you know, there are people there who do understand and understand what you're going through. As Stephanie said, groups aren't for everybody, but I will tell you, these national conferences are uh, pretty amazing. Now, Stephanie, that you went to the Brief Parents, and uh, it's quite a thing to be around that many people, right? It was amazing. It was the first time I had been around. Every one, uh, so many people that were on the same playing field as I was. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, you can, they you, had lost. Yeah, and you can also, and you are such a wonderful example for people. I mean, it's been seven years for you. And, you know, you, uh, yeah, and you are, uh, you lost your only child, which is huge. And, uh, and you, you're great. Tell people what you're doing with your, um, efforts, uh, at your church. I love this. Well, we, uh, as I said, keeping, I just want to, say one thing about keeping is that is that you know we're so so many times we're encouraged to let go get over it move on um and i feel like you can replace the void left by death by keeping we're all a collection of memories anyway we're all going to die at some point in time and to keep those memories and keep that love strong and that connection strong with your loved one that you've lost is so important it allows you to move forward and to, to live as fully as you possibly can. You'll never be the same. You're, you're always going to be changed from that moment on, but you can live fully. Uh, and some of the ways that we keep Clark, we, we keep him right now, we're keeping him on this radio interview. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. so thankful for that opportunity. And um, we plant trees in his, his honor whenever we get the chance. And we created a full service commercial kitchen at our church because Clark loved his mother's cooking, and I cooked for all the boys at my house, and it's called Clark's Kitchen. So every time there's an event held at the church and they say, we're going to be in Clark's Kitchen, kitchen that's another way of keeping Clark. So I just... I love it. And Stephanie, yeah. didn't the boys at the Citadel turn their heads towards you, the cadets? Oh, my gosh. That was one of the most... Uh, I, after I had written the book and it was almost finished, Something just told me, and and I know that you all have experienced, and I have have experienced a lot of divine inspiration after mm-hmm. Clark's death. And I had finished the book and was down in Charleston editing, and looked at my editor and said, "I'm changing chapter one." And it was such a momentous occasion when I went back to the Citadel for the first time and watched a Friday parade and Clark's company turned their heads to me during parade and nodded wow. uh, just so solemnly. It, it was amazing. Wow, and it, it that's was a powerful. very, very powerful moment. Absolutely. And he's, he's always with us, and, and that's what I celebrate. I celebrate his life, and I celebrate keeping because it, it, it's a long-term way of thinking and a long-term way of living, and keeping reconnects us where grief disconnects us. Oh, what a wonderful way to end the show now, and thank you so much for being on, Stephanie. And tell people how they can get your book, Keeping Clark, and tell us about your uh, website. Uh, I have a landing page website for the book. It's called keepingclark.com, and that is Keeping Clark, and Clark has an E on the end of it, C-L-A-R-K-E dot com. And the name of the book is Keeping Clark, One Son, One Day, One Mom's Personal Journey Through Grief. And I will 
tell you, every time I, every time someone reads the book and they contact me, it just, it fills my heart to know that, that it's a very honest and real book. So it, it definitely tells people what it feels like to lose your child. But we're all going to experience death and loss, and it has been a companion for a lot of people, and I've heard from so many people all over the country and even from Europe. So that, that's awesome that, that Keeping Clark can help people uh, understand how to live through grief and not in grief. Uh, thank you, Stephanie, so much for being on the show. Thank you so and much. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.